We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And joining me now from his home office in Vancouver Island is John Max. And John, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Richard. Pleasure to be on. I feel like you're the grandfather or you're the dawn of the this entire enterprise because you've been <laughs> doing so much work in uh, not only getting it started, but getting it promoted. So it's only fitting that we kind of begin this new season by talking with you. So welcome again. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, it's actually uh, funny to be on the other side. I was <laughs> <laughs> thinking it's uh, didn't picture myself here, but I think it's great we're doing it. Yeah, well, it's kind of neat. As we talked about in the beginning, this is really a niche podcast because mm-hmm. there's not really a huge, you know, wide swath of people out there interested in indigenous land management. So it's it's a great focus you've picked, and it's it's so relevant and important today. Oh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think uh, just the podcast format by itself is such an interesting one. And to and seeing, you know, in some of this work leading up to starting the podcast, researching what's out there, you know, there's some podcasts on Indigenous law and some on particular rights-based uh, kind of focuses and whatnot. But, yeah, for lands management, this was really seemed to be the first one. So uh, great, I think, just to get something moving and hopefully there'll be more shows like this to follow. Yeah. Well, it's nice. It's another tool in the toolbox you've got because you've got the internet, you've got a great website, you've got a quarterly newsletter, and you've got other communications media that you're doing, and you've done a lot of video work too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it started out, uh, you know, I think we thought we really needed to ramp up our video-based kind of work, and um, we took some time to figure out some projects we could uh, take on. And uh, we learned pretty quickly that they're pretty time consuming and pretty costly. Um, and we will continue to try to look at the opportunity to shoot these uh, videos about various things. But uh, the podcast really has fit a particular niche here that's fantastic. It's so quick and easy to do and, uh, and flexible that, uh, um, yeah, it's a superb tool in the toolbox, I think. One that really offers a lot more, I think, than video even. Yeah. We'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to folks in your regional offices who help, have helped put some research together and made the contacts and communities that have led to some fantastic guests over the past two years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't thank the colleagues enough. I realize that's you know part of any kind of production, I guess, that you learn um, that it's all the back end to some extent. What you need to be able to prepare, to get things lined up, to you know break the ice a bit with guests. Uh, it's not as simple as just cold calling, grabbing the phone and say, hey, would you like to do this? There's a lot of work in the background to get these started. So luckily, this one was a little bit easier between you and me. But uh, yeah, we had had a lot of help uh, from uh, our RC staff, which has been great. Awesome. So uh, we're looking at a, a, a new season and uh, some events have transpired over the summer that I think you'd like to use to help shape where we go with this. So what are you thinking? Yeah, I think... Uh, it's really interesting to do that look back to the summer. You know what we we we've just witnessed um, uh, a summer that was just uh, at least out here in BC, and I know I think it's the same across the country. Uh, a summer that 
uh, where our climate has really been to, at the forefront of people's minds. You know, we experienced 40 degree heat uh, here on Vancouver Island for the first time ever, I think. Um, and I know uh, some of the uh, the forest fires that I witnessed kind of personally traveling throughout the summer and whatnot. Um, there's so many communities throughout British Columbia that uh, uh, were really in the mix of dealing with some pretty um, pretty heavy things uh, and uh, and the responses, the evacuations and uh, and uh, what you know they can do perhaps to um, be able to be better uh, better prepared to be able to take this on when it happens is really like I say seems to be top of mind and something people are talking about and I know you know exploring this with the RC staff that uh, there's experiences like this across the country if it's forest fires or floods or just uh, you know these instances of natural disasters are happening more often and First Nation communities are you know having to equip themselves to be able to do this work and um, it's uh, yeah I think it's something that is unfortunately our new reality yeah and there are a couple of communities in particular I think that uh, new you have mentioned in in previous conversations that we will likely try to end up having someone speak to right yeah absolutely you know for instance uh, the Lytton First Nation um, in the interior uh, experienced some devastating um, uh, devastating damage uh, uh, in and around the community and the, the forest fires that happened in June um, really wiped out the community almost completely and I think it'd be uh, you know so it made the news in June um, it'd be really good for our audience to be aware that you know this community is living through this they're still trying to rebuild um, you know in temporary offices people displaced uh, throughout uh, British Columbia and otherwise and um, there's a lot of work to be done and it's really a lot of land management work in the midst of all of that so yeah. it'd be great to be able to um, to help for the call to action I'm sure for more support and uh, an awareness that uh, this is still a reality they're living with yeah. Another uh, summer uh, issue that came up, of course, was the horrifying discoveries in some former residential schools. Um, and that no doubt impacted a number of land code communities. Uh, it perhaps delayed some work in some of the developmental First Nations. But what kind of things were you hearing when that broke, when that news broke? Well, I think for everybody, um, including myself, uh, it's it's just devastating to really um, take in just how um, widespread uh, the issue is, how, uh, you know, just how many discoveries, not only there were at, at first at Kamloops, but um, how much more there's going to be to come. You know, there's some I was at 170 or so uh, residential schools across the country and um, the work that's being done on the land right now, what we're hearing, I think it's almost like this feeling like you're just, you know, it's going to be bad news and news that's just going to get worse and worse. Um, and it's just almost like uh, living in this state where, uh, you know, communities are just uh, waiting to get the bad news in that sense and try to start the process of healing and, and, uh, and try to do some uh, do some work to help the survivors and uh, mm -hmm. everybody else that's just trying to process what how big this is and how you know how atrocious this was really yeah and it was really nice of chief willie sellers 
uh, to come mm. on the podcast. I think it was that same week or maybe a couple of days later. And after three or four nights of a sacred fire, he yes. came on the next morning and did an interview. And I could tell he was dog tired. Yes. But he's so enthusiastic about his community and what he sees happening in the future. He wanted to share his experience with Land Code. So that's the kind of people we've been able to grab on the podcast. And it's been really enlightening. Oh, absolutely. It was it was really grateful that Chief Sellers could do that. I know he was so very busy with so many engagements. And uh, just as you say, it was um, really, really good to have him on and to you know get his particular voice and his particular perspective on what the community is going through. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's at the core of, I think, what this show can be about is... Uh, getting that individual insight, you know, into what the communities are seeing and feeling and thinking about uh, in different parts of the country. And I should uh, ask uh, listeners, too, if you're interested in hearing the Willie, Chief Willie Sellers interview, just go back to our catalog on either Buzzsprout or whichever major podcast platform you're uh, listening to the show on and look up that, I forget the episode number, but uh, Willie Sellers will be in the headline. And uh, it's a it's a great conversation and I encourage folks to give that a listen too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something we talked about before and we've had done some interviews on, John, is online learning, webinars. And I think your organization is making plans now for the immediate future on what to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, training, mentoring, and professional development webinars um, are ongoing. There, um, there's at least one per month. Any of those online events uh, can be found on our website uh, in the events tab. And there's, like I say, typically at least one of these events per month coming from the training, mentoring, professional development folks. Or we've got another series called the National Online Conversation, which is focused on uh, and. Indigenous uh, law development and enforcement, which has been uh, a busy one as well. Mm-hmm. And also even our annual general meeting, which is happening in December, um, you'll be able to find uh, the link to that event. Anything you need to do in terms of registration or whatnot, you can follow okay. the link there. And labrc.com, right? If That's right. If you want yeah. to uh, get on there and check out what you've got. That's right, yeah. www.labrc.com. Okay. Or we'll even put our, it- our Facebook page as well. We usually have notices there. Great. Yeah. We'll throw that information in the show links. Back up a little bit, John, and talk about uh, COVID, because I know lawmaking ability is is fundamental to the land code itself, and communities have resorted to that to protect their communities. Mm-hmm. And are you hearing much about that now as, you know, phase five sort of sweeps through the country? Yeah, a little bit. Um, we monitor the news quite a bit to be able to see what our signatories or the First Nations that have signed on to the Framework Agreement on First Nation Lands Management, if they're making news and whatnot. There was a lot of news throughout last year, of course, with regards to uh, the responses to COVID, being able to um, you know, control access in and out of the communities when it was really, really hypersensitive. And uh, there were quite a few stories in and around that. Now, it was really great to see that the communities had the ability, you know, because of their um, land codes and whatnot, to be able to respond so quickly. And I think uh, 
is probably not making news as much nowadays, but most definitely, I'm sure, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, for instance, um, where, you know, we've seen this big wave coming as well and, you know, seems to be daily the news about uh, how it's going to get worse. Uh, those communities are still at the forefront of dealing with uh, those kind of issues, you know, uh, distancing and access to the community and, you know, monitoring yeah. uh monitoring that for sure yeah something else on your communications agenda is uh the move afoot to have some new legislation introduced uh, maybe in a nutshell talk about why that's important yeah i think the the bigger picture with it is it's the evolution of uh the framework agreement itself you know most people uh perhaps when they come in to understand this work that they see that there is a piece of legislation called the the uh first nation lands management act but actually that legislation only functions to ratify uh, the framework agreement, which is really the core and fundamental document that uh, we take all of our leads from and we get all of our authority from. Um, so in the evolution of this work, rather than having those two documents that almost um, appear like they do the same thing, they're parallel, uh, the, the this stage of the, the next steps in the evolution is that they're looking with uh, what's called the amendment number seven to try to um, minimize what that lands management act does to really reduce it down to its basic function which is just to okay. be that that uh, that tool to ratify the spirit and intent of the framework agreement in Canadian law so that okay. there isn't that complication of the two documents you know saying the same thing simple is good clarity yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what it is. And it's it's really speaking to where we're at. I think there, you know, with with uh, this particular form of sectoral self-governance, um, uh, the framework agreement offers a kind of um, uh, a kind of uh, control and the kind of jurisdiction that uh, sort of speaks for itself. And um, the, the less complications we have and the more ability for First Nations to be able to realize the power that comes out of that uh, that framework agreement, um, um, the better it's becoming. And it's, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more elements being considered uh, to be a part of this work as, you know, more, you know, the evolution of lawmaking or, like mm -hmm. I say, wills and estates or, you know, land registry. These things are, are now growing uh, more and more with the evolution of the work. Yeah, it's been fascinating as I've listened to uh, our, our guests over the last year and a half or thereabouts, how willing people are to share what they've learned through the whole land code process with communities coast to coast. Uh, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't really highlight anyone in particular, but just about everybody comments about how other land code communities have helped shape their own land code process that have been willing to share send information. And so that's something you've got to be proud about. And it shows the communication is really good in the organization. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like I said, in my former life um, within the resource center, I worked as the manager for developmental and operational services here in BC. So I worked on a lot of land codes with communities um, from, it was about from 2007 or so onward. And the one thing that I think that was consistent in watching the evolution of communities getting their land code, uh, you know, trying new laws, uh, new systems, what have you, is that everybody is open to sharing. And it, it really is a, a model that has had such strength. It was 
um, you know, it just seemed to be it's there, it's encouraged, and uh, and and uh, communities are really open to be able to help each other to make their work better, and mm-hmm. you know, not stay in sort of uh, uh, a silos in that sense. So it is such a strength of this work. You're totally yeah. right. Your team was really busy when you celebrated your 25th anniversary. Uh, there was a ton of information up on the website and features on communities. And then you surpassed 100. Are you at 101 now, signatories? It's 102, actually. Are operational? Are operational now, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, uh, you know, in a couple of votes last year, the 100th came fairly quickly. And then soon after that, 101 and 102 happened as well. So, um, yeah, and it's been amazing. Despite COVID, the, all the restrictions with people being able to vote in person, um, that communities have still uh, moved on and, and held their votes and have been successful, which uh, like it shows it's a testament to just how much people want this work. Yeah. Uh, people like to hear from our guests some, uh, some personal information too, John. So if you don't mind, I'll just spend a minute maybe giving you an opportunity to talk about where you're living, the part of the country you're in, and then we'll get on to mountain biking. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh... Currently residing on Vancouver Island, actually, in the, the territory of the, the Malahat Nation, uh, close to uh, Gowichan uh, Tribes uh, Nation, uh, really south South Vancouver Island. Um, kind of, uh, you know, be it the rain and the, and the, and the warm weather. <laughs> mm, I could handle it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's easy nah, to take. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. You've got children, and I've seen you quite a bit on Facebook at various mountain biking events. And I, I mean, you're really into this. You know your stuff. It's yeah, it's kind of my my thing. When I'm not uh, not at work, that's you can pretty much find me up a mountain somewhere, either one of the local ones or somewhere in in BC, uh, riding uh, riding a bicycle for sure. It's something I've been doing. Uh, for a very long time, you know, uh, since I was a kid, all the BMX riding, BMX racing kind of stuff, and it transferred over to uh, mountain biking. And uh, yeah, I just love it. Something I I do with my kids. And uh, one of my sons is a a downhill bike racer. uh, So we spend a lot of time going to competitions, whatnot with him. And yeah, I just find it a, it's a, it's it's uh, it's my therapy. It's uh, getting out into the woods, and uh, there's no better no better place to be. And you know, being yeah. able to do it on a bike is great. Uh, we need something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything else you want to add, John, uh, before we go here? And in terms of your communications objectives over the next couple of months, where the organization's headed, maybe that I haven't brought up yet. Yeah, like I say, I think uh, one of the things we'd like to do this year in terms of a strategy is the the podcast was new we started uh, you know if people don't know last december um it all kind of came together at once and then we really ran with it for 29 episodes so uh we spent the summer really thinking about what we had done i think in a way uh what we accomplished uh, what the content of the interviews are like and where we could go in the future. And I think one of the things that stands out is that we'd love to be able to encourage uh, some interaction with our audience. We know there's a good size audience out there. We've had 3,800 or so downloads for those 29 episodes, which is really strong. And it would be really great to take some leads from our audience in terms of the kind of stories they'd like to see, perhaps particular guests or even topics or questions they'd love to see featured. So um, they could... Uh, you know, either contact us or we'll probably look to run um, 
some kind of like perhaps email based or whatnot uh, kind of campaigns to try to help encourage that, get some interaction and and really help evolve the show to be something that is uh, perhaps going to evolve with the input of the audience. I think uh, I think we've got something that is working here and it'd be, it'd be fantastic to hear what people would like to see featured. Yeah. And it's the folks out there at the grassroots level who really have a, a pulse on what's going on and can recommend some great ideas to follow up. So good point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a treat to talk to you, John. I know we're going to do it many times again over the telephone and by email, <laughs> but uh, I think it's a great idea for our listeners to learn a bit more about you and the uh, the great work the comms team is doing there at the Resource Center. So awesome to see you and happy biking, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time and uh, giving me a chance to talk about this show. I think uh, we're, we're, we've got something that is really fantastic and love to see it grow. Super. Oh, we're number five in Kenya, too, by the way. Did I send that? That's away? excellent news. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you did. And that's the only thing I think has found is really amazing is where people are tuning in around the world. You know, there's, you take it for granted. People will be listening different parts of the country, major cities and whatnot. But to see the uptake in Russia and Ireland and Kenya, it's, uh, it's great. That's the cool thing about the tool. It can really be listened to anywhere. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. That was my conversation with John Maxson, Senior Public Relations Advisor with the First Nations Land Management Resource Center. You can reach out to John with any story ideas for this podcast, which, if you haven't heard already, hit number one among all nonprofit podcasts in Apple Canada's directory this past year. You can find John's contact info on the website at labrc.com. Also, you can see which communities have signed on to the framework agreement and a list of upcoming online workshops you might be interested in. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening to Land Decolonized.